I don't just send them a financial analysis on the property or pro forma. We hold recent MLS realtor comps so people can say, okay, listen, I'm buying a house for 100 grand, but look, the neighborhood's selling for 120. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of the fluffy stuff. With us today, Ron Bloom. How you doing, Ron? I'm doing real good. Thanks, Joe. Well, nice to hear that. And a little bit about Ron. He is the principal at Atlas Capital and Asset Management. He's been involved in large-scale home construction with the largest residential developer of custom, and it's 1 million plus homes in Western Canada. His company's based in Sedalia, Missouri, and he spent eight years constructing residential real estate during the 80s boom years and then had larger scale production since then. He's had 50 plus active purchase offers in 14 states throughout the Rust Belt and the U.S. So with that being said, Ron, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. Our focus is very, very unique. I don't know how many other people are actually doing this. One of the biggest problems that I've heard people talk about here over the years, we try to be responsive to the feedback that we're getting from people that contact us. And for any foreign investors to purchase real estate in the U.S., it just hasn't ever really been a non-predatory loan setup. Some of these people on here will finance foreign nationals and they want 50% down into the hard money. And my background is actually not just in the development of real estate, but also in loan servicing. I'm a loan servicing platform. So I used to do all the whole loan acquisitions for Continental Capital Corporation for a number of years. And that enabled us to be able to even further establish a lot of the proprietary contacts that we have and that we have available for real estate investors. So we are able to go ahead and provide 30-year fixed rate loans for foreign nationals. However, I do have a lot of domestic buyers that use our services just because it's a lot less tedious than the typical loan process would be, Joe. People are there on day number 29 trying to fax stuff in the middle of the night so they can get their loans to close. And for us, it's just pretty standard. The only thing we require is two years of tax returns. I want to see whatever cash reserves you have, and you run your own credit report. And based upon that information right there, that is all we require to move forward to do a loan. And huh. the other people here in the U.S. that really like our program is that most banks, despite what kind of cash reserves you have, they're going to usually top you out at 10 properties and not let you buy anymore. And that's not the case here either. We'll still underwrite the loans. The loans are all underwritten internally right here on my desk. So we're not really subject to strict underwriting guidelines. And then the loans will be 30-year fixed rate, 35% down payment. We go ahead and underwrite the rest on a seven and a quarter fixed rate loan. And the only thing that we do ask, the only little hidden surprise in our loans, 
not a balloon payment, but what we like is we ask that you not refinance out of the loan for the first year. So we can help you to get in there. And then after the first year, if you can find a better rate, a better term, a better loan, you have our blessing because we want our investors to make money. And if getting a better rate and term enables their cash flow, then we're happy to go ahead and assist and give them our blessing. Is there a prepayment penalty after year one? No. No. Okay, so you can get out scot-free, no fees involved? Yep. Day number 366, you're welcome to go ahead and refinance wherever you want to go. Huh. I was born in the U.S., so I don't have the perspective of being a foreign investor. So I will approach this question as though I am not born in the U.S. So I'm living in Australia. I hear this podcast, and I hear I just need two years of tax returns. I run my own credit. And I think the third thing you said, you want to make sure I have money in the bank. Did I write that down? Yeah. Uh, how much? We do want to see a little bit of cash reserve. There's a whole lot of people out in the world have been kind of, in, in my opinion, maybe a little bit misled that they're not really generating a lot of revenue. and then. Yeah, Agnes kicks the bucket, leaves them $10,000 and think they're going to be able to parlay that and uh, become an next real estate millionaire, and that's not realistic. Okay, how much specifically needs to be in cash reserves? Well, we'd like to see 40 or 50 grand. Regardless of the loan size? Well, there's lots of different ways that we can kind of massage this, but primarily what we don't want is we do not want to hold people's feet to the fire, so... We want to see it in an IRA, in a 401k program, something along those lines. So it doesn't have to be money sitting in a brown paper bag right underneath their workstation. Uh-huh. Okay. So it's not as liquid. And is that a benefit to you because they probably won't be moving that anytime soon? Or is that a disadvantage because if they need it, then they can't really liquidate easily? No, no. It's definitely okay. an advantage for the investor. What we want to make sure of is we are not brokers, number one. I'm not a loan broker. But the other thing that we don't do is we don't broker properties. We carry all of our own inventory. It's all in very, very stable, low-risk kind of bedroom communities. We try to focus on good school districts. And that brings us the kind of tenant that we want. So we carry our own inventory. We have our own construction crews. We even do all of our own property management. Okay, so this loan program is one rung in the ladder of your overall business, and it's a way that you can help each aspect of your business because if they get a loan from you, then maybe they'll buy more properties and you've got properties and then you also manage it. So it's a full service thing, right? Correct. And you know, I'll tell you, Joe, we probably our least favorite aspect of this is property management because it is an art. And there's a skill to it. But again, listening and hearing what's being related to me from other investors, that property management key just typically seems to be the biggest hurdle for people. So we took on the property management aspect about three years ago, and we're familiar with the property. We did the original rehabs on the properties. We're familiar with the communities. And the other thing that we're very, very familiar with is the caliber of tenant that we want going in. I know for a lot of investors, Section 8 seems like a great model for people that are willing to kind of assume that kind of inherent risk that goes with inner city investing in higher risk neighborhoods. So it's just been a pretty much a cookie cutter program where we're using our own capital to purchase. We're using all of our own capital to do renovations and to fix them up. And prior to closing, we're going to be providing 
an appraisal, a property inspection report, and a finished walkthrough video so you can see what you're getting prior to actually going into the closing. Got it. So you- it's a turnkey company from finding the deal, buying it with your own money, doing the renovations with your own money, then you sell it to an investor, domestic or foreign, and then you help them with the loan, and then you manage it. So turnkey stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we've had very, very good success in the model. And when we first started the loan program here a few years back, Joe, it wasn't nearly as favorable as it can be right now. Typical lenders are charging hard money rates, 9, 10, 11, 12%. And being in the servicing background, I saw the whole wave of subprime loans that went south here in 2006, 7, 8, 9. So I'm very, very familiar with what a predatory loan is. And the only product was really available out there for investors that was easy were ridiculously huge down payments. So we responded to that need and, and we have a lot of pearl business. And I would say probably the bulk of our clients right now are coming out of Canada and Australia. Okay. Is that because there's just a lot of Australians and Canadians or do you have a particular focus in those markets or are there certain aspects about those countries that lend itself more towards buying here? Well, number one, there's no language barriers. so Right, yeah, it's easier. That's a good thing, but we used to actually work with referral services that we've kind of eliminated from our business model now. I would say that probably 75 to 80% of everything that we're doing now is repeat and or referral business. So we're not a very, very aggressive marketing company. And to be honest with you, Joe, I don't want to sell 500 houses a year. How many do you sell on average? We're probably turning anywhere from five to 10 a month, and we have the ability to scale up. But I also like to have a life. Yeah, me too. (laughs) So we're able to scale up, and my kids are through college and doing very, very well. And another thing that kind of prompted our move just out of the big city itself and got about an hour outside. Is that the big city of Kansas City? (laughs) Yeah, Kansas City. Okay, the big city of Kansas City. All right. The big city for us, now we're in a little little community of about 19,000 people, and we have our three-story turn-of-the-century home right across from the park and stock fishing lake, so we're able to handle more and we're able to scale more, but we've got all the skin in the game. Then there always seems to be this fine line of having either not enough buyers or too much inventory or too many investors coming at us at one time, so... It's a constant juggling program, but after being born and raised in California during that housing boom out there in the 80s, not to date myself, but we just liked a little bit slower pace. And the one other thing that I always stress to people, Joe, is that we don't want to get so big so fast that we're inaccessible to our clients and our customers. Usually, our customers can pick up the telephone and get us on the phone. It seems like I spend half my evenings texting people in Canada, people in Australia. So when you get too big, then all of a sudden, it always seems to be the first thing that suffers is client support services. And we don't ever want to have to see that happen. If somebody needs to talk to me, I want to be able to pick up the phone and get me on the phone. Mm-hmm. High level, let's go over the categories of your business or the departments of your business. One is finding the deals. Two is the renovation of those deals. Three is finding an investor for those deals. Four is getting a loan for them if they go through you. 
and then five is managing them. Are those the main areas of your business? That is exactly my business model. Okay. All the way. Within those areas, how many team members do you have? Because it sounds like you focus more on the quality of life aspect because you moved outside of the big city. You're across from a stock pond, hanging out by a park, but you got this five to 10 houses a month. You said a year or a month? A month, right? Oh, five to 10 a month. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. I wrote down a year in my notes. I knew that was wrong. You got five to 10 a month. So how many people do you have? Well, that's kind of an interesting question. I've had the same person doing acquisitions for me now for probably eight or 10 years. So he knows what my quality controls are. He knows what my procedures are. So I tell him how many houses I need. He goes out and finds them in the cities that I want them in. Then I have three different construction managers, three active crews at all times. And then there's me and my wife, Debbie, basically handle all the interaction with all the clients. I do all the underwriting for the loans. I stack the files. And then Debbie is kind of your go-to gal for logistics for contracts and property management and lease agreements and things of that nature. So we run pretty lean, but... I've been doing this in Kansas City now since I moved back from Canada and took the job over at Continental. So we've just got a very, very strong team, and I don't always have to be looking over their shoulders because they know what we expect. You do have a very lean team. How many properties do you have under management right now? Oh, I don't know, a few hundred. A few hundred. So your wife, Debbie, is the point person for management of those? Correct. How does she do that? A couple hundred properties. (laughs) <laughs> she had a stellar resume, I'll say that, <laughs> long before. She was very, very active and kind of a major player in corporate America for many, many years. And then she decided to follow me off into this crazy real estate thing, and we've been banging away at it for 17 years here, out of Kansas City-based alone. 200 properties, one person. She's not fishing with you, is she? She's working while you're fishing, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's probably a pretty good way to put it. And then she's an artist, has an art degree, so she paints on the weekends. And I'll tell you, when you have reliable crews out there, and if there is a maintenance concern, the people that are going over there to fix that are the people that originally rehabbed the property. It's a lot easier for the guy that went over there and put in the plumbing to go over there and figure out when something's going wrong. But the other thing is, too, as long as we're turning over quality properties with a complete inspection report and an appraisal, then we can attract the kind of tenants we want. I've got a lot of my tenants now, Joe, come from referrals from other tenants that I have. Hmm. When she's spending time on, we'll just say 200 properties, since you said a couple hundred, when she's spending time on the 200 properties managing it, what is the percent breakdown of her time where she's spending it? Just if you had to guess. Oh, 75% of her day is property management. But again, we have Good, responsible tenants, we screen them thoroughly. But when you say 75% is property management, that's a fairly broad term. What specifically, is it leasing, renewals, is it maintenance requests? How is she able to do this? Well, it's usually maintenance requests. With all of the same personnel that we've been working with, one of my construction managers has been with since 2001. And that's when I was just kind of tinkering around it, and, uh, not really making it into a business per se. And uh, the property management aspect, I've got to give it to Debbie. She is a champion, thoroughly screen these people. If you've ever had an eviction on your record, you're not going in. Your debt-to-income ratio is not acceptable to us. You can't go in. 
And in a lot of these neighborhoods that we're putting people now in jail, these are not high density rental areas. These are owner occupant neighborhoods. So we want that owner occupant type of mentality. And really the only thing that ideal relationship is the rent arrives every month on or before the third and we can leave the people alone. And that's what people want. Mm -hmm. Cool. Let's see the different aspects of your business that we talked about. Where do you make the most money and where do you make the least money? Oh, we make the least amount of money on property management. Is that all Debbie's fault? No, no, no. <laughs> I'm <Debbie's>, kidding. <laughs> uh, Debbie's quite a trooper. But, <laughs> you know, the thing is, Joe, is that here in the Midwest region, or at least here in Kansas City, the standard property management fee is 10% of the rents that you're collecting now. Yeah. I would say that our average is somewhere between $900 and $1,200 a month. And we're just at a flat fee of 75 bucks. So that's not even really a money-making apparatus for us. We just do that as a service to our clients. And so that if they ever do have any maintenance issues, that we can use our own crews and kind of keep it minimal. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a little, for instance, um, a few years back, and this is what really kind of prompted us to reassume the property management role instead of having it farmed out to a third-party contractor or a company, is we wouldn't hear a whole lot once we finished up with the property and they had a tenant. But then as some months roll by, and this has happened with two or three different companies, and it's so frustrating, one person, apparently the base of their toilet cracked, and they're sending me a bill asking me if I can assist with this $345 repair. Well, I can go to Home Depot right now and buy a toilet for 60 bucks, and you know <laughs> my guys will have that in in 15 or 20 minutes. So the property management for property management companies, that's a revenue stream for them. Mm-hmm. It's not really a revenue stream for us. It's a courtesy that we provide. Yep. It's almost a necessary evil that you have in your business. Yeah, it kind of is. The fact that we're underwriting a 30-year loan, the fact that we have all the skin in the game at the front side, and the fact that we're managing it, we're not here to sell a property and wash our hands and walk away and wish you the best of luck. We're here as a support system for you. Yep. Which when you're an out-of-state or particularly an out-of-country investor, you better be sure that whoever you're working with has their act together and can provide all the services because what you don't want is you don't want three or four different hands in the same pie from somebody over in Australia. They have their own lender. They have their own property management company. They have a realtor looking for them. They're trying to coordinate rehab crews. It's too much. Yeah. It's a smart way of controlling the process as much as it can be controlled. And when you're working with, I imagine, investors who are looking for a turnkey operation, if you can provide everything in one system, then it's a much smoother conversation and so much easier than if you've got a lot of different vendors. And well, I mean, I... I do this for a living. I do it, it seems sometimes probably put 50 or 60 hour work week and weekends we'll take emergency calls. But for the most part, I've been doing this a long time and I've got a cookie cutter system. And sometimes I'm surprised that I don't have more frustrations than some poor guy sitting over in New Zealand who's trying to navigate the U.S. real estate market. He's on the verge of trying to put a skylight in the back of his head with a block because he's got <laughs> too many people that are involved in the thing, you know? Yeah. So we do want that peace of mind for our clients. But the other thing too is we rarely have a client that buys one house from us and then they're not back in another month or two or three. 
or referring moms and dads and coworkers. So that's why we don't have to really be aggressive with our marketing strategy. The clients find us. Where do you make the most amount of your money? Oh, when we turn the house. Renovation to sale? Yeah, that is the revenue stream right there. Mm-hmm. Like I said, a lot of this other stuff, it's more of a courtesy that we're trying to provide to help people keep expenses down and not go out there and get ripped off by property management companies or shady contractors. The acquisitions person who's been with you eight to 10 years, how does he or she find the quality deals? Well, you got to kind of poke around. There's still some good availability on MLS. We're in Craigslist. We're going to, what's the new one? Facebook Marketplace, just wherever we can find them. And again, there's just certain cities that we like. There's certain zip codes that we like. There's a certain demographic of the renter that we want. And I mean, our ideal and or our typical renter is dad's a cop and mom drives a school bus. That's our target right there. Based on your experience, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Don't get greedy and don't play with the money. Don't get greedy and don't play with the money. Did I hear that correctly? You're exactly right. What what does that mean, don't play with the money? Well, real estate is not really a complicated thing. I think a lot of people complicate it too much themselves, and they don't realize where they're going before they really embark upon it. And next thing you know, they think they're going into a deal, and the costs have increased 15, 20, 30% more than when you originally started. We provide a good property with a certain return. And we don't play with the numbers and we don't try to eke out every time a profit that we can get. In fact, a lot of inventory right now, or when people are looking at or considering our inventory, I don't just send them a financial analysis on the property or pro forma. We hold recent MLS realtor comps so people can say, okay, listen, I'm buying a house for hundred grand, but look, the neighborhood's selling for 120. So do I really want to change pricing around? Our typical benchmark for cash-on-cash returns anywhere from 10 to 13%. And if you're in a stable neighborhood, a stable property that's appreciating in value, then you're in great shape. But too many people embark on a course of real estate, and all the players that are involved are greedy, and they're playing with the numbers. And that's the kiss of death for us. And if I go down to a car lot and I ask, how much is this car going to cost? And they tell me 20 grand. And I go back three days later, now it's a $35,000 car. Well, that's playing with the numbers and playing with the money. And we just don't do any of that. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Fire away. All right, I will. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart get the word out about their cause and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. Are you seeking investors, negotiating deals, and making things happen? The 7 Figure Sales Podcast has exactly what you need. Host Taylor Lote interviews real estate investors, sales trainers, and successful entrepreneurs to bring you their top sales secrets. Learn more at 7figuresalespodcast.com and listen on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Best ever book you've read? 
I've spent a lot of time looking on your website, and I know you're knowledgeable, but I really do like the fact that you cover a broad range of topics. What's a favorite book of yours? Oh, a financial book? Yeah, any particular book. War and Remembrance okay. and the Winds of War. All right. I will World check. War II fiction. I'm a military guy and came from a military family and probably some of the finest literature I've ever read. All right. Noted. I've got that written down. What's the best ever deal you've done that wasn't your first and wasn't your last? Oh, probably the best ever deal I did maybe three years ago. We did financing for a mortgage investment corporation. We bought two streets of beautiful three and four bedroom duplexes. And that was a complicated and challenging deal. However, during the mortgage meltdown and all this inventory was becoming available, we came up with proprietary software that any house in a 20-state Rust Belt region that was listed for $21,000 or below our computers automatically generated the bid for five grand. <laughs> we averaged somewhere from 15 to 1,800 houses. You know, not high quality. They were all, in my opinion, junk properties and junk neighborhoods, but there was demand for that back then. So that was pretty challenging, too. When you get what you ask for and you buy those properties at $5,000 and you got thousands of $5,000 property purchases, what do you do with that? Well, I'm kind of an institutional guy, hence the background of loan servicing. I used to do all the loan acquisitions for Continental Capital Corporation. I ran the whole servicing division for it. That is not a product for the meek at heart. That's the type of product that institutional investors would be buying, and they buy 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 in time, but they also understand that it's all very high risk and half that portfolio is going to end up be throwaway inventory anyway. So if you have asset managers and you know what you're doing from the institutional investment point of view, I would never advise anybody buy any high risk, cheap property. They always look good on paper, Joe, but they don't always turn up that way. What was the financial result of that acquisition process? Well, we bought them at five and we sold them at seven. And back when the huge tsunami of properties was being dumped back on the market, there was a product out there called a quick claim deed that a lot of people used to like to buy. The banks used to like to sell them by quick claim deed because all they're really doing is they're saying, I can't insure it. There's probably still a loan against it. You might owe a thousand dollars in water bills, but you can buy $5,000. So what we did is we incorporated this program where we were automatically submitting bids. And what would end up happening is we would buy them for five and we would sell them for seven. And I had probably a drastic cost in between there. Yeah. So we weren't making a million dollars on a deal, but if you make a thousand dollars for your company 1800 times a year, it's not a bad day at the office. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause the closing costs and things on that $2,000 profit probably get eaten up with what a thousand maybe so you're making about a thousand yeah probably okay yeah we figured anywhere from 800 to 1200 dollars typically but these people that were out here buying junk properties and they can't get a title policy on it we were able to specifically find and meet a demand that was out there at that point in time but be able to buy a, a title policy and a warranty deal and it was the gangbusters it was nuts for three years just crazy What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? <laughs> I love that sound from you after I asked that question. <laughs> Underwriting. Underwriting can be meticulous, the Calyx mortgage files. And a lot of times I think that I'll have everything that I need and all my ducks in a row. And I have to call back a client or send an email with customer. 
oops, guess what? I need to have you re-sign it and resend it. I forgot this. I forgot that. So it's the attention to detail and underwriting. We don't service our own loans. This is just like a conventional loan when you go and you buy a house for your wife and your kids and you prepay one year of taxes and you prepay one year of insurance. And every month you're mailing in your payment, you're paying principal, interest, taxes, and insurance. BSI Loan Servicing out of Texas is who handles all of our loans and they board all of our loans there. But for me to get them to board the loans, my underwriting, Joe, has to match theirs identically if they were the loan originator. So yeah, the hardest part of every deal is just all the detail that goes into all the mortgage software. Best ever way you like to give back. I think that we're providing good service and a lot of people that find me tell me, and this happened a number of times where I'll be talking to somebody in Canada or I'll be talking to somebody in Australia and said, well, I just don't like your rate in terms, 7% is a lot. And I say, well, you're welcome to shop around, but typically I, my phone ends up ringing again and the other people that like our service is people that are very well-off investors and have a good amount of real estate. And they own 10 homes, they own 10 duplexes, whatever the case may be, and nobody's willing to extend any additional credit to them because they hit that magic cap of 10. So we just try to identify the challenges and push through them. If I'm your real estate guy and you're looking to me to manage property, to loan on the property, to provide a good appraisal, to be able to give you plenty of due diligence so that you know if you're making an informed decision or not, then you better have a lot of confidence in that guy. And that's the amount of repeat referral business that we get. And it tells me that we got to be doing something right over all these years. How can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? A couple different ways. The easiest way is to go to our website, which is Atlas Cam, like the first half of camera, Atlas Cam Group, or just go ahead and Google us at Atlas Capital and Asset Management and you'll find us. Ron, thank you for being on the show and talking about your business the 360 approach that you take, certainly lessons for any investor or entrepreneur. One of them is there is benefit in controlling the entire customer experience from start to finish. A lot of businesses in real estate are one particular aspect of the process and not as many are 360 like yours is and you found success doing it this way so that's the large takeaway i got from our conversation and then also some kind of tactical things that you had mentioned about not manipulating numbers when you're running them to make them look better so that you can go buy it but in reality you're gonna get burned in the end anyway so you might as well not do that as well as some tactical ways that you all are finding deals. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to yeah, you soon. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Joe. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Are you seeking investors, negotiating deals, and making things happen? The 7 Figure Sales Podcast has exactly what you need. Host Taylor Lote interviews real estate investors, sales trainers, and successful entrepreneurs to bring you their top sales secrets. Learn more at sevenfiguresalespodcast.com and listen on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast.